Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. This week, we're talking with nutritionist Kim Pearson about the pros and cons of veganism for runners. For runners in particular, protein is really key. We know that athletes and people doing a lot of exercise have a higher protein requirement than the average person. Um, The nutrients required for energy production are really important. So, and again, this is relevant to everybody, but in particular, runners need a lot of energy. Um, So iron, uh, B12, vitamin D. So low levels of any of these nutrients can lead to fatigue. Rick, you're back. I am. I've been nappy changing my way around the UK and now I am back in the podcast studio. Have you set yourself a new PB yet? <laughs> nappy changing, five in a day. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, I reckon I'm down to maybe two minutes per nappy. Oh, that's pretty good. Well done. Yeah, yeah. New, new dadding. Um, <laughs> how is, how, are you now officially a running dad? I'm now officially a running dad and I should probably get that updated in the old Twitter. Put it on LinkedIn profile, straight make, away. Make it official. Dad. Runner, Dad, change every Podcaster. single, <laughs> change every single picture you've got to you just pushing a toule around everywhere. <laughs> no, it's it's been amazing, mate. Um, and I've been trying to, um, along with all the nappy changing, do the odd little run and yeah. and make make the most of, some of your advice about you know these little windows of opportunity to get to get out because I think it can feel quite claustrophobic for both parents in in the first couple of weeks. Mm. You know, it's like, um. But it's been yeah, it's been it's been lovely actually. Great. Have you, what, what running have you done? I'm um, thirty miles. No, <laughs> I, I did actually. I did actually go out for a couple of hours actually. Oh, nice. On a Saturday because um, my wife's best mate came over, and I thought she hasn't really come over to see me. She's come over to see our child, and no, it was best that you're out the best way. So in some ways, yeah, I was doing everyone a favour by, really by, by uh, getting out for a couple of hours. But um, yeah, and, you made, and it was a rem- reminder to me also, like how how important running is to me actually and it's a great kind of release valve as well you kind of think oh, oh nice great. i come back and feel you know not tired but energized actually yeah. so but it's been uh i mean it's also completely bewildering the whole thing but it's been amazing so, so when are you doing your sub five minute mile <laughs> yeah someone was asking about this in fact, it has fallen off the cliff a little bit but i will give it a go i'm going to give it a go in march God, you're giving yourself a buffer there, haven't yeah, you? Well, i was quite i was pretty close to being fit enough for the sub five minute mile before christmas and then it was just, it just didn't quite work out on dates. And then it was like, I had to go to a wedding. Then it's Christmas. Like, you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 And then, then it was, it was all getting a bit close to the, the birth. Yeah. So now I will I'll have right. another go. Ben. No, no, fine. I'll let you off March. Fine. We'll see, see what happens. <laughs> so, uh, should we get our guest of the week on, Ben? Let's do it. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be a physio or a complete unknown. 
Our guest this week is Runners World resident nutritionist Kim Pearson. Kim has worked in nutrition for 15 years, is a keen runner and writes a monthly column on nutrition for Runners World magazine. We're delighted to be joined by her today to talk about veganism. So welcome, Kim, to the Runners World podcast. Hi. Um, for anyone still unsure, what is the difference between vegetarianism and veganism? So vegetarians don't eat animals. That includes meat, poultry, fish, seafood, even things like gelatin and uh, that are a derivative of collagen or animal rennet, which is derived from the stomachs of cows and used to harden some cheeses. Vegans take things a step further, so they not only eat anything an animal's had to die for, but they also don't eat anything that an animal produces, which includes eggs, dairy products like milk, butter, cream, cheese, and they don't typically eat honey either. Right. Well, that's one of my favourite foods in that list. I know, right? I think that the main thing that kind of when it comes up and we talk about veganism and running um, are the performance positives that come with a change to a plant-based diet. Um, From a nutritional perspective, what would those be? Often when people turn vegan, they really reassess their whole diet. If you do it well and you really plan your meals out, often you end up taking more care over what you're eating than before. Um, Also... You know, with a a good vegan diet, when you're focused on things like pulses, nuts, seeds, lots of fresh produce, vegetables, then it is a nutrient-dense diet. You have, although you're not necessarily covering all of your nutrient bases, your your intake of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fibre can be good for for certain nutrients. Probably when you change to a vegan diet, you, you do eat more veg and more fruit, I reckon. I mean, I haven't gone down the vegan route, but would you say that was your experience? Yeah, so um, when we're talking about um, the the pros of it, it's not necessarily something that, from a performance point of view or like a, all those sorts of things, but what it did help was just uh, reevaluate what you were eating and how to just change your diet a bit um, in the broader terms, as in you're looking at your daily consumption and all of a sudden you're thinking like, well, actually, do you know what? I can't eat that later, so what am I going to eat? Mm. So you're learning new recipes, you're trying new foods, um, you're sort of you're researching, you know, well, oh, I really enjoy that. Oh, maybe I can try this. And it kind of ends up being like it's quite fun because you're just mm. if anyone likes if you like food then learning about new food yeah. is great. You're suddenly just involved in this new process of being like, oh, I'm going to roast some bulgur wheat. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I've never done this before. And you do it and it's lovely. But what, what would you say are some of the cons, though, Kim, of, of veganism? Because it, c- it can get presented, I think, as this kind of silver bullet, you know, to health. But actually, I'm not sure that's accurate really it's certainly harder to get optimal levels of certain nutrients from a vegan diet so the one that we talk about a lot is vitamin b12 most of the sources of b12 are animal sources there aren't very many sources of b12 in a vegan diet so typically you would need to supplement and then there are there are a number of different nutrients Um, take for example iron you can get iron from vegan plant sources but the forms of iron that we get from plants is different to the form of iron that we get from animals so heme iron which is the iron we get from animal products is much more easily absorbed and utilized by the body compared to non-heme iron 
that we get from plants. And there are a number of examples like this. So a number of different nutrients where the plant version is not necessarily in the active form. So the body, our bodies, when we consume it in those forms, has to go through certain processes to make it um, able to be used by the body. So let's talk about runners and those who, who regularly exercise. Are there sort of immediate things that everyone has to be very mindful if they're going to adopt a vegan diet? Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think for runners in particular, protein is really key. We know that athletes and people doing a lot of exercise have a higher protein requirement than the average person. Um, the nutrients required for energy production are really important. So, and again, this is relevant to everybody, but in particular, runners need a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, so iron, uh, B12, vitamin D, so low levels of any of these nutrients can lead to fatigue. Um, I think, you know, one of the key factors for runner as as well is hunger. If you're covering a lot of distance, mm-hmm. you're going to feel hungry. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But animal, pro- you know, animal foods like meat, they fill us up, they keep us satisfied for a longer time than carbohydrate-based foods that typically uh, are broken down and used up much more quickly. And I don't know what your experience was when you... Yeah, I think that, I mean, I eat a lot. So when I was switching stuff around, I was I would just go by volume right. a lot of the time. And I kind of feel like that, that would be the benchmark of like, oh, I'd eat enough of it until I felt full. And I guess that that's, you know, as I think my body's quite used to the patterns of, I've, I've been quite strict before with my diet. And I kind of think that my body's learned to react to certain... You're quite adaptable. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's kind of almost yeah. got to the point where if it knows if I've had like something that's... Um, f- like got some good fat in it and some protein and it feels fuller quicker than it does if yeah. I just eat a lot of carbs I definitely f- think that it does that um, so I think that there was a kind of honeymoon period where I was just like the idea of what I was doing and changing the diet around was was nice and kind of like felt I felt better for it because well you feel better for it because you're changing your diet and you're eating new foods and that f- makes you feel better but then there's also you feel better for it because you feel like you're doing something positive so there's kind of like a sort of... Some oh, placebo effect. Well, kind of. I mean, maybe not even placebo, but you kind of actively think it's a betterment. So you're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. so you kind of, it's twofold. But yes, I did think that I found myself reaching for snacks quite a bit more. Mm. But obviously, vegan snacks. I mean, I was, um, <laughs> yeah. I was vegetarian, strictly vegetarian for 14 years. Wow. And, you know, I just remember always feeling hungry. I was hungry all the time. Right. And I could eat a massive bowl of pasta and then still be sort of raiding the biscuits. And my I had cravings. My blood sugar levels were all over the place. I was tired all the time, constantly deficient in iron. And I remember when I started to eat meat, it was just a huge difference for me. I could eat such smaller quantities, mm. but actually feel full and satisfied by them. Why, why did you first, why did you become a vegetarian in the first place? And why did you come back to eating meat? Mm, so I became vegetarian when I was 14. Yeah. I was brought up in a farming community and I saw the factory farming of chickens firsthand and it was just an instant thing for me. Mm. You know, looking at how those animals are raised, I just thought I can't justify that that sort of treatment of animals for the sake of some variety on my plate. Mm. And I, I was vegetarian, as I said, for 14 years. And certainly, you know, I, I found it difficult to control my weight. I put on weight quite easily. Um, my iron levels were often on the floor. I had to take a supplement constantly. Yeah. 
Um, you know, there were all sorts of things, yeah, energy levels, certainly. And it was a nutritionist who I was working with while I was studying. When I was studying, I was still vegetarian, so I considered that I had quite a healthy veggie diet. Yeah. Um, he really encouraged me to consider eating meat and, you know, looked at all of the research with me and said, look, I think you need to really consider mm. it because you cannot, there are certain things that you cannot get from plant foods that you can from meat. And so it, it took me a while to get my head around the idea mm. because half of my life of I had been vegetarian. Yeah. Um, but certainly I think it's, you know, what I would like to stress is it's very much an individual thing. Vegetarianism did not suit me. For some people, they go vegan, they feel great. Mm. You know, if they do it well, they do feel good. They do have energy. They find that their digestive function improves. Other people will feel rubbish. It really is such a personal thing. Yeah. I think that's a lot to be said about that. This kind of like all food, type, all diet choices become this big prescribed thing. One, you must do it this way, and everyone must do it that way. But the individual, it's so like there's so much grey area in terms of like I don't like eating a lot of red meat because digestively, I think my, I don't I don't yeah. process that well. That's common, right? So I I don't eat a lot of it. I'll eat chicken and I like white meat, and that kind of suits me fine. Yeah. But then there's the whole bravado of being a man and eating a steak. I don't want to eat a steak. It takes three days for me to get rid of that thing. So, you know, it's, it's sort of this balance between yeah. uh, everyone has these, you know, it's about choosing something that, you know, your, your body will tell you quite quickly, I think, if something's working or not. I think that's really key. Just being mindful of what you were eating, eating consciously, unprocessed foods that you know where they've come from, if it's animal produce how that animal has been reared and just be mindful of how it affects you because mm. you know we all lead busy lives it's easy to just throw things down our throat and not really give it a second thought and not necessarily make the connection between how certain foods are making us feel so it's just about being mindful yeah i mean i think we, we ought to talk about the game changers documentary that's come out obviously it made uh made headlines brought vegan discussion into the mainstream and uh no, it's very compelling viewing and it kind of it suggests, if anyone hasn't watched it, it suggests that Going Vegan has incredible kind of performance uh, mm. gains, I guess, as, as a result. Um, you've seen the documentary, Kim. I have. Yeah. I saw it a while back, yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of it? And, and as a nutritionist, does do documentaries like that sort of set off any alarm bells? Look, the Game Changers documentary is undeniably very slick and convincing. Yeah. And I have seen a lot of people who've been convinced to go vegan as a result of watching it. Is that you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, that's, that was... <laughs> that's another <Hello>. one. <laughs> um, I think the thing that really frustrates me about Game Changers is how hugely biased it is. This is not a balanced look at all of the evidence. It's a case of cherry-picked data used to create a documentary with huge funding from people with a vested interest in pushing veganism. Um, you know, it's, it's a very one-sided argument and you could do the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, if you were pro-meat, you could look through all of the scientific data, cherry-pick the studies that reinforce the, the beliefs that you have and with enough money create a very lovely slick documentary yeah. pro-meat. So what I would really encourage anybody considering a vegan diet to do is to don't simply take information from one source and and then go in search of other, uh, you know, information that backs that up. 
take advice from different experts, do your research, look at people with varying points of view who don't have such a a biased agenda and form your own conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We've done with that. We can not talk about game changers now. <laughs> I feel like it's it's had enough of uh, like back and forth in the world. But um, I think the, the the bigger the bigger drive for a lot of people to adopt a vegan diet is actually the ethical reasons. You know, it comes down to the individual. Some people just simply don't feel that it's ethical for for us to eat animals, and it, it very much comes down to your own personal beliefs. From an ethical point of view, I I always need to know where the meat that I'm eating has come from and how it's been raised. So you can go into a supermarket and see two packs of chicken breasts and one is like the standard, you know, four quid factory farmed. The other one's eight pounds and you think, hang on a minute, this the organic one's double the price of the normal one. Mm. But actually, when you look into how those two different animals have been reared, you can see why there's, there's such the price difference. Mm. And nowadays, more than ever, we do have access to well-reared, you know, traditionally reared animals that have been fed the diet that they are supposed to eat rather than mass-produced factory-farmed animals who have to be routinely fed antibiotics because they're living in conditions that they are not designed to. They're eating food that they are not supposed to. Mm. So I think that you know, you can eat meat and and do it, you know, ethically. We talk about, um, you know, organic uh, meat versus factory farmed. I guess the argument would say, well, actually, you know, organic is a lot more expensive. And if, you know, if I don't have the budget to, to eat meat in that way, what would your response be, Kim? Would you say it's better to eat less, less but better quality meat? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Okay. The other thing is as well to eat cuts that we don't typically mm. tend to eat so much. Mm. So we're so used to going into the supermarket and buying chicken breast, for example, like I just mentioned. But instead, it's actually more cost effective to buy the whole chicken, roast it, use a wall of it, take the bones, make some stock or some bone broth. Mm. Or, you know, speak to your local butcher if you've got one. You know, find those cuts that aren't aren't so popular and therefore are cheaper, but still really good quality. Um, there's also various claims that have gone around about, well, you don't need to go to get your protein from meat. Um, and one example would be peanut butter, which I think is a runner's favourite. I like it anyway. I love um, it. But you can say, we well, actually, you know, from two tablespoons of peanut butter, you can get, you know, what you can from x amount of steak so actually the need for these kind of meat products from a protein perspective is isn't it like negligible what do you think about that is that a fair enough way to look at things so i think there are a couple of points to make here in terms of protein content peanut butter is going to have around 25 to 30 grams of protein per 100 grams of peanut butter Compare that to steak, you're looking at, again, between 20 to 30 grams of protein, depending on the cut, per 100 grams. So the protein content is comparable. However, we were talking earlier about calorie consumption. And if you look at, if you were going to consume 100 grams of peanut butter, your calorie intake is, you're going to look at about 600 calories there versus with steak, probably between 150 to 250 calories per 100 grams, depending on the cut of steak. Mm. So you're talking for for getting that same amount of protein, you need to eat about three times the amount of calories. Right. And then there's the quality of the protein as well. Yeah. 
So animal proteins are generally complete proteins, meaning that they mm. provide all of the essential amino acids the body needs, um, whereas plant proteins aren't. So typically you have to combine different types of proteins from plant sources to get all of your essential amino acids. So say like a runner is um, supplementing their protein with a powder, a lot of those vegan powders will be a combination of pea and another yeah. protein you source. the vegetable? Yeah. Yes, the peas. <laughs> Very high protein. Um, once you've stripped out everything else. Um, so, you know, that it's not, it would be pea protein and then maybe like pumpkin seed or something so that the, the, all the amino acids are in there, right? That's kind of how those yeah. work, right? Um, another reason why a lot of people go vegetarian or vegan is for the environment. We, we, you know, we think particularly red meat and cows. Mm-hmm. That has a you know that their methane and all the rest of it has a detrimental uh, effect on on the ozone layer. What do you think that's a a reason for going vegan, or, or do vegan sources also have are they problematic in that way as well? Again, interestingly, if you look at how animals are reared, yeah, it can have a big impact on the emissions that they're emitting. Okay. Um, also. You know, if if you are, like we were saying before, if you are swapping to, for example, swapping milk to something like almond milk, then almonds are produced, you know, the other side of the world. For us, the, the energy required to produce almonds is really high. We're flying in things like avocados, coconuts. Mm. You know, this isn't local produce that we're, we're making the swaps for. Mm. So... Yes, animal animal farming does undoubtedly create emissions, but then it doesn't mean that all vegan foods just completely get let off the hook here. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, regardless of whatever diet you feel is right for you, we could all do well to focus on local produce, yeah. foods that have been produced locally to us, that are in season, that have been produced in a way that is you know, right, basically. Um, yeah, so regardless of, of what diet you choose, it's about how your food is produced. Yeah. So would you, so if we now that we've uh, well, tried to address veganism as a performance food, what is the perfect performance diet? Is there such a thing? I don't think that is because it's so different for everybody. Everybody's different. You're going to have people listening to this who have tried veganism and felt absolutely terrible on it and then others who are vegan and actually feel great and have never felt better. So just with the example of veganism, it's a very individual thing. But then there are certainly key things that all runners will need. Optimal amounts of protein, good quality fats, uh, vitamins, minerals, carbohydrates at the right time in the right quantities and again it comes back to what we were saying about finding the balance that works for you yeah i often think that lots of the kind of pillars of nutrition most of us probably know them like you know consciously or subconsciously we kind of know that we probably should be eating a large amounts of fruit and veg probably some good quality meat yeah you know like a, a large variety of foods and then it becomes kind of faddish and kind of um fashionable to go actually now you know what it's all about veganism or it's all about the paleo diet or whatever these quite extreme yeah. forms that actually yeah they haven't got huge amounts of scientific evidence back in I, I would fully still absolutely encourage everyone to try and do one day if not two days a week on a vegan diet 
Right. And then supplement your normal diet with a couple of vegan days just to see how, how you, feel. you adjust to it and actually just more how you are made to think about what you're eating. Not, again, on performance yeah. from a nutritional point of view, not ethically, not environmentally. Just think about what you're eating. Helps you sort of think of some new recipes, some different ideas. That was the huge plus for me, from right. trying it out. What, yeah. do you, what do you think? Do you think people should eat meat every day? Not necessarily, no. Yeah. And, you know, you made a good point about variety there. Actually, so many of us eat the same things day in, day out, yeah. that if you do create yourself a challenge like one vegan day a week, yeah. then you are challenging yourself to increase a variety, if you do it well, increase a variety in your diet. And that's certainly a really good thing. Kim, thank you so much for joining us to talk us through this. Um, as you know, as I trialled it, I was thinking this is going to be the future. It wasn't for me, but I, you know, it's great to have you in to sort of offset some of my nonsense chat with some authoritative <laughs> bits and pieces. So thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. His fingers on a button, his ears to the ground. He's done a bit of Googling and he's had a nose around. He's a detective wearing running shoes. Carrie McCarthy and his weekly running news. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Kerry McCarthy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, that was lovely. That was kind of sort of almost a Gregorian chant. <laughs> this is very excited to be back. Yeah, clearly. Um, hello to everyone. I'm going to roll through a few things this week. Firstly, if you are registered for the Tokyo Marathon this year, then I would log on and check all your details because mm. you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I'm very sorry to say. The mass participation race at the Tokyo Marathon this morning, it was confirmed, it has been cancelled due to uh, the coronavirus, or COVID-19, as we now have to call it in a very sci-fi fashion. They've changed the name of it. Oh, I didn't know. Well, yeah. Because of the beer? Have they? Uh, they I don't know. I mean, I I did read that Corona had done some kind of very clever PR campaign where they tried to get the name changed to like the Budvar virus or something, which you know was kind of an obvious move. But you know, well done, Corona. Anyway, the name has been changed. 
But back to the to, to the main point of the story, which is that yes, the marathon has been cancelled. Uh, the organisers have said that if you have a place, you can defer it until next year, but you will have to pay again. Oh, how much is? I can't remember. I should know this having done it myself, but it is. It's at the pointy end of the scale. It's, it's not. It's quite expensive. It's, it's not. It's not the forty-two pounds or something that yeah. London Marathon yeah, costs. Yeah, it's a yeah. hundred and something. Um, if you have flights and accommodation and all that stuff checked, uh, there is yet to be an update. And obviously, it's going to be on a hotel by hotel or uh, and or airline by airline basis. So I would I would get on the case immediately if you're just hearing this through us now. It's a real shame, isn't it? Yeah, a real shame. For sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you're the only person who's run the race, so I don't really know much about. The Tokyo Marathon. But if you were chasing, if, if that was your sixth star... Yeah, people oh, tend yeah. to leave that. Uh, statistically, it is the one at which most, uh, or the majority of six-star medals are got because it's so culturally different from the rest. It's kind of, I know it depends on where you live in the world, but it's kind of it's kind of a long way away. Yeah. It's expensive. Even the, the whole cost of the trip going out, flights and combination, is pricey. Yeah. So people tend to leave it to last. So if you were going out to get your sixth star medal, massive commiserations on that, yeah, but... Yeah. There is always next year, and obviously safety comes first. The elite race will still be taking place because they are, you know, their immune systems are tougher than ours or something. Or, sure, you know, famously. Be, because money. <laughs> famously frankly. unfragile, the yeah. elites. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, from the fragile to the distinctly robust, there's been another world record. Uh, Ugandan runner Joshua Cheptegei, who we've mentioned on the podcast previously, he smashed the 5K world record on Sunday at the at the Monaco Run 5K. He's the first guy to go under 13 minutes. He ran a time of 12.51, which improved on the previous record by a mere 27 seconds. Um, I should add at this point, this is distinct from the 5,000 metres, yeah, which yeah. is obviously the same distance, but it's on the track. Yes. Yeah. Um, and out on the roads it's obviously more difficult because you have sort of wind factors gradients camber twisting and turning all that kind of stuff uh and the world record of 5000 meters for men incidentally is 1237 so significantly faster um but there is a video of it on the runners world website runnersworld.com slash uk if you want to watch it i mean you don't have to watch all 13 minutes of it or just under 13 minutes but if you as i did fast forward to the last couple of minutes and what I did was, I, when I was watching it, I didn't watch him. I just watched the buildings to his side because then you can get a real sense of the pace. just how fast he's going. He's The bloody hell, he's whipping past those pillars. <laughs> at, and it's just, yeah, it's, you know, nuts. I think I think the pace was like, I mean, what is it, 408 pace? Yeah, or 410 or so, something like that. Marlin, yeah. Something insane. Um, he actually broke the 10K world record in December, the Valencia 10K. And he's the ten thousand meter world champion on the track, so he has he has plenty of pedigree. Yeah, and it'll be him against Farah uh, in the Olympics. Yes, so actually, kind of really exciting. And you, you might have to, you might have to make Chiptege the favourite now, based on those. Uh, yeah, I mean, Samoa is you know as great as he's been for GB. He's, he's you know he's getting on a bit. He's switching back to the track after putting in a few years logging the miles for the marathon. It'll be really intriguing. And this yeah. guy's doing all right at the moment. <laughs> so I mean, amazing. Yeah, not not too bad. Presumably, was wearing the. Uh, he was wearing next percent. Next percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he was. I don't want to. I don't want to be the kind of cynic in the room here. I just. Uh... Well, congratulations. <laughs> but, yeah, just. Is a... that a bit like when somebody says no offense, but and it's like <laughs> they do mean offense. Yeah, no, it's yeah. an amazing running, but yeah, I mean, records records are a tumbling, aren't they? Yeah. In, in, with these. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a new era for sure. Um, and then finally, there was more athletics at the weekend. It was the indoor Grand Prix in Glasgow on Saturday. 
You uh, now this isn't obviously running, but I think it's worth flagging anyway. Arman Duplantic, a I thought you were being really northern. Arman, Arman, <laughs> Arman, Arman. <laughs> he's not. Uh, he's not. He's an American-born Swede, and he's a pole vaulter. And he broke the pole vault world record for the second time in a week, um, jumping six meters and eighteen. Now you can go, wow, that's loads. But to put this in context, I googled what is the average height of a two-story British semi-detached house. Yeah. Um, up to the gutter, not the not the pointy <laughs> bit at the top. It's five point seven meters. Wow. So if you imagine pole vaulting you're over, the, your, you're basically the attic, over you? your house, yeah, wow. <laughs> Have you watched a video of him doing it as well? I think it's on BBC. Um, they show this, the side profile when he's clearing the bar. Acres of room. Yeah. Oh wow. He's got he's got more to go. Yeah. But then, you know, the pole vaulters are very, are very clever. Like the, the great Russian pole vaulter, Elena Ristenbaeva, she used to deliberately break it a centimetre at a time, as did Sergei Bubka, right. the Ukrainian, because they would get more money each time they did it. <laughs> and they can control it. It's not like sprinting where it's like, how do you control that? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Bolt used to get acclu- accused of like holding something back? And it's like, you can't do that in 100 metres. You can absolutely do it in the pole vault. <laughs> So he's there, you go, oh man, he's yeah. going to be clearing seven metres soon. That's mad though, isn't it? Pole vaulting over your own house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, obviously the whole idea of that doing that is mad, but just the height. Yeah. Um, and then just a, a quick whip round uh, the other runners and riders. Shelly Ann Fraser, the great Jamaican sprinter, did her thing. She won the 60 metres, uh, obviously, in 7.16 seconds. I was talking to Ben Hobson about this earlier. She has awesome hair. Oh, with the hair. Goes yeah. all the way down her back to kind of like the lumbar region. But just think how heavy it is and how much faster she could run if she didn't have that. Obviously, I'm not suggesting she, you know, cut it all off, you know, because fashion and having a life outside of running. But, I mean, it's you know, she's carrying all that hair and still battering everyone it's maybe very it's a impressive sort of Samson sort of thing of her actually yes, power comes yes. from the hair we were thinking yeah. actually like maybe it was like going all the way back through to like the early sprinting and maybe like the guys would always have their gold chains on mm. and then the girls would have their hair or, or the nails and it's kind of like you don't see it in other running events but I feel like the sprint's kind of a bit it's a bit of peacocking for sure. Start line proud, yeah. like, look yeah. at me, I've presented my best, you know, my most ferocious self almost <laughs> rather than like that's what I quite like about it yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be the same if they just sort of turned up in no. kind of, you know, Mr. Muscle kind of spectacles. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, the British runner, Gemma Riki. You may, you, you probably won't have been aware of her a couple of weeks ago, but you probably are now because she's been smashing records all over the place. She continued her impressive run of form by winning the 1,500 metres. Two weeks ago, she broke the, uh, the British indoor 800 metre record, which had been held by Jenny Meadows. Last week, she broke Laura Muir's British record for the indoor mile uh, and along the way broke her 1,500-metre indoor record as well. This week, like I say, she won the 1,500 metres in 4.04 and change. Laura Muir won the 1,000 metres um, but failed to get the world record she wanted for that. She ran three seconds slower than she wanted. But, yeah, it was a good weekend for were athletics. They, were they wearing those shoes? Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. That's, I mean, the poor girl has had to contend with all sorts of kind of stuff, saying, look, I know you've not heard of me, and now you've heard of me, and you're thinking it's the shoes, but it's not the shoes, it's the training. It's, it's the relentless hours and hours of hard work. Yes. Yeah. Um, I always find the indoor meets, I don't know about you guys, I've always found them a bit odd to watch, because the, yeah. the, 
the acoustics were a bit odd. The demographic demographic of the people that go and the track is obviously smaller. It's two hundred meters, so there were lots and lots of laps. Oh yeah, big like the bigger races, uh, you're just like, wow, this is I'm almost dizzy. But the the, the shorter stuff is great. I like because yeah. you kind of like you get an immediate like, where's one done? Come on, do another one. Well, oh. when they do the sprints, obviously, yeah. then they have to like run and slam themselves into that kind <laughs> of, of course, like yeah. spongy barrier at the end, <laughs> yeah, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I didn't watch enough of it, but um, I, I you know, I think that. Well, we've had this chat before about like so Diamond League and different uh, distances being culled and, you know, it's only the indoor stuff that we're going to kind of see more of these distances continue. So, yeah, so the more coverage, the better. Yeah, indeed. Kerry, thanks very much thanks, for guys. your weekly running news. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runner's World podcast. A big thanks to our guest, Kim Pearson, and to you, of course, for listening. The Runners World podcast was recorded at Number 8 Studios in Soho and is available on Acast, iTunes and all of your favourite podcast apps. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a review and remember to tune in next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.